pastor here at Kirby Church, and I am very um, happy, very privileged to get to speak with you guys today. Um, pastor Mike gives me the opportunity from time to time to share, and I, I love those opportunities. Um, just so you know, I know some of us come in here with bad weeks, some of us come in here with great weeks, um, and in between, and mine has been a very good week. I have my Graham, that's what I call her, so don't make fun of it, Graham, and my mom right here um, in the second row right here, and very, very happy to have them here with me this week. Um, just to tell you what kind of people they are, I was going to preach at a church last Sunday night who, um, they're without a pastor and just need somebody to fill in, so I went and I, I'm on my way to preach there and my mom calls and said, hey, how would you feel about guests tomorrow night? And so I was like, we'd love it, that's great. And it put my wife in a little bit of a frantic because she wanted the house to look nice and um, we are those people who wait till April 13th to do their taxes. So um, receipts were all over the living room, paperwork was everywhere. I mean, if you want to know anything about our life and what we spend our money on, you could have walked in the front door and you would have saw it all. Um, and so she cleaned the house and, and um, my gram and mom came and it's been a great week and I've been very happy to have them here. Um, it's taught me a couple of things this week. I've learned that Taylor is right. I mean, a lot of the time. Um, and I see that because when my mom and my gram come in, it then becomes three females against one male. And I don't know if you can do the math there, but I don't stand a chance. And so as you're preparing to speak, you need this encouragement and this uplifting because you're about to deliver the word of God. And instead, I have three ladies who are cutting up jokes at me, telling every embarrassing story of my life and just reminiscing about all the bad things Clayton has done. So that's what I come in here with this morning to preach um, the Word of God. So, but other than that, it's been a great week, and I've loved having them here, and it's been wonderful. Uh, I've been very excited about preaching this message, this Rethink Jesus. Usually Pastor Mike says, preach whatever you want, and I'm like, yes, because I, I usually got a sermon tucked away, so it's, it's, it's easy to just pull that out and look over it, and I'm okay. And then this week he came in and said, no, I want you to follow the series, and I said, that's not what we usually do. That's not how this works. Um, but it's been a blessing because I've learned so much just in, in studying throughout the last couple of weeks and preparing for this. And it's really excited me. And, and I just want to share that with you um, here today. So this is um, another series of Rethink Jesus. And today, the part we're going to talk about is the Son of Man. And um, we hear that throughout Scripture many times. The Son of Man is used 82 times in the Gospels, mostly by Jesus. I think it's used one or two times by someone other than Jesus, but they are just referring to him or referring to something that he once said. Um, and so you see Son of Man throughout these Gospels over and over and over, 82 times. You see um, in Matthew, Mark, you see him say, Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And you see these things over and over and over. And we're going to talk about the last one today. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And that takes us to Mark 14. Mark 14 is something that you're probably used to hearing about three weeks ago. Um, because this is where Jesus is in front of the Sanhedrin. And so he's already prayed in the garden and he's been... Um, Betrayed by Judas Iscariot, and now the Roman guards have come, or not the Roman guards, the guards have come and seized him, and they are now taking him before the Sanhedrin for his trial. And that is what brings us here to Mark 14, verse, 40, or verse 53 
through 65 is where we're going to be at in Mark 14. 53 through 65. And this is what he says. This is what it says here. It says, They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and elders and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard with the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy the temple made by human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Yet even their testimonies did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man, there it is, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Verse 63, the high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him worthy of death. Then some began to spit on him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, fists and said, prophesy, prophecy. And the guards took him and beat him. So we have this passage, and like I said, we usually hear this about three weeks ago because we hear this leading up to Easter. And we hear about how he was taken from the garden and, and how you know, one of the disciples cut off one of the guy's ear and Jesus picks it up and puts it back on and they, they take him before the Sanhedrin. We hear about Judas and all that takes place here. And this is what we have here. He is here in this room with these people who are the high priest, chief priests, and Jewish leaders. And he's here before them on a trial that shouldn't even be taking place. It's taking place in the middle of the night, which wasn't even right if you look back to the laws of how they did a trial. So it was a, a wacky trial. It wasn't even real. And they're accusing him. And as they accuse him more and more, they sit and look, and none of these line up. None of the accusations are, are agreeing together. You know, it's kind of like if you ask your kid, did you do this? And they say no, but then the other kid comes up and say, yeah, he did. Like, it's not lining up at all. That's what's taking place here. <laughs> And so they ask him, are you going to defend yourself? And that's, that's where we're at. I want us to really, really focus in on verses 57 through 64. In 57 through 64, we hear that one of the accusations they bring against him is the destruction of the temple. And this was a big deal for them. It says um, that when one of them came and said, he has said he will tear down the temple and in three days rebuild it without human hands. And so he's making this accusation, and this accusation comes from what happened in earlier chapter, Mark 13, verse 1 and 2. It says, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his followers said to him, Look, teacher, how beautiful the buildings are, how big the stones are. And Jesus said, Do you see all of these great buildings? Not one stone will be left on another. Every stone will be thrown down to the ground. So that is what they're talking about. Somebody heard him saying that to one of his followers, and they're bringing that uh, to this trial and saying, he said he will destroy the temple and, and in three days build it without human hands. And this was such a big deal, and I didn't realize this until I studied this out because I've read that over and over and thought, okay, who, it's a building. Who cares? But to them, to this high priest, 
all the temple was, was that was his power building. That is what made him who he was. That is what gave him all of the power he had was the temple. And so when Jesus makes this statement and says that every stone will be thrown down, every stone will be unturned, it will not be stacked on another, it will all be destroyed this hits with the high priest. There's many people in this room. There's high priests, chief priests, and all these Jewish leaders. But that one thing hits with the high priest because now he is threatened because his power is possibly being removed. Without the temple, the priest has no power in this time. And so he comes to him and he says, are you not going to say anything? Are you not going to say anything at all? Are you not going to answer? And Jesus does not answer him about the temple. And I want you to realize this. Like I said, there's many people in this room. But at this moment, all the accusations and all these people in there, all of that doesn't matter at this point. It has now went from many people down to two. It's now become Jesus and the high priest. And if you get that, you understand the rest of this chapter a whole lot better. Because that is what it comes down to. These two battling it out head to head. Basically, there's not enough room in here for the two of us. And one of us is going to go. And so the high priest is letting all these other people talk. And then finally when they talk about the temple, he says, hold on. And he steps up and he begins doing all the talking. And he says, are you not going to say anything. And it says Jesus was silent. And that's in verse 61. He says, um, it says then, or in verse 60, then the high priest stood up before and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is the testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. And this is where it changes gears. In the latter part of verse 61, it says, again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, son of the blessed one? Jesus says, I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds with heaven. And so in this moment, Jesus will not answer about this temple. But then the high priest asks a different question. He says, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, yes, I am. And he not only says, yes, I am, but he also says, the Son of Man He says, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds with heaven. And I had read this over, I had heard this over and over preached before. What does this mean, Son of Man? What does this mean, clouds of heaven? What does this mean, sitting at the right hand? And to be honest with you, most of the time when I heard it or I'd read over it, I'd say, okay, and I just keep reading. And I think many of us do that when we read our Bible. But Jesus says so much in one verse here, if we unpack it. You have all of these other people accusing Jesus, coming at Jesus, beating Jesus, trying to find him some way wrong. And Jesus makes one statement that just blows everything out of the water. Right here we see our, our passage where it talks about the Son of Man. He says, I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One coming on the clouds of heaven. You have to remember who was in this room. The high priest was in this room. The chief priests, many were in this room. And the leaders, Jewish leaders, were in this room. And when he says son of man, many of us read that and say, okay, yeah, he, he was born of a human woman. And so he was, he was son of man. And that's not what it means here. Son of man refers back to Daniel chapter 7. 
In Daniel chapter 7, this is a prophecy. Daniel has this vision. He has this dream in the middle of the night. And it says, this is Daniel speaking. He says, in my vision at night, I looked. And there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. It says, he approached the ancients of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So in this one verse, he references two Old Testament verses here. When he says, I am the Son of Man, and he says, I will be coming on clouds of heaven, and he talks about sitting at the right hand. He's referring to Daniel 7 and Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is a passage all about a king who will sit at the right hand who is greater than the high priest. So not only does Jesus say, yes, I am the Messiah, but when he refers to sitting at the right hand, he's telling that high priest that I am the king. I am the one who is going to dethrone you. I am the one that the Old Testament talks about. And it's not you, and it's not anybody else in this room, but it is me. He says, yes, I am the Messiah, and I am the one who will sit at the right hand. And when he says, I'm the one, the Son of Man, who will come on clouds of heaven, those people in that room know that Jesus was making a statement saying, I am divine. I'm not like you. I'm not like the other people in this room. I'm not just a normal person. I am divine. I am deity. I am the Lord. And so in this one statement, so much is unfolded. He is not just saying, yes, I'm the Messiah. Yes, I'm the Son of Man. He is making a statement that these people, better than anybody else, would recognize. You have the greatest theologians right here in this room at this time. For this time, these were the people who would know the Scriptures. They would know exactly what he meant. And that's why Jesus said it in this way, is so that they would understand All the question was, was are you the Messiah? And he could have said yes and left it at that. But he took it a step further and he says yes. And the Son of Man who will come on the clouds of heaven and sit at the right hand of the Mighty One. And honestly, if he would have just said Son of Man, that would have clicked. But he made sure that they knew he would be the one coming on the clouds from heaven. And he was the one sitting at the right hand. And so in one verse, in one sentence, all the accusations, everything that Ben's brought against him, all this stuff, he says one sentence and just takes them to their knees, basically. He comes in and there's this battle, like I said, between him and the high priest. And when he said this, he sealed the deal. He said, this is who I am. This is why I'm here. And with that, he basically told the high priest You're not the one. You think you're the one. You think you're the one who God is raising up. You think you're the leader of these people. You think you're the one that he is preparing, but you are not it. I am telling you right now, I am the one. And in that, it offended the high priest because he was basically saying, I'm kicking you off the throne. You think you're the king. You think this is your temple. You think you're the leader of these people. You think you are perfect and you're the one that God has been bringing, but you are not it. I am. And that's why he says it in there. And so at that, it says the priest just lost it. The high priest did. It says the high priest tore his clothes. It says, why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. 
You have heard this blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. Then they began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said prophecy. And the guards took him and beat him. So you have this take place. You have him assure them that he is the one. He is the Messiah. He is the king. And in Daniel, it just doesn't say he is the king, but it says he is the one who will come before God, and God will give him everything. God will give him all dominion, all power, everything. And it says every language, every nation will come and worship him. Jesus tells this high priest, you may be on the throne right now. You may be leading these people, but I assure you, your temple, your kingdom is going to fall, and I'm going to be the one who has the kingdom that lasts forever and has all dominion and is always reigning. It will be me. And it says that the high priest tore his clothes. He was outraged. And this was actually a sinful act for the high priest to do, but he still did it. He was so outraged. It's funny that nothing was said about that. He just did it and got away with it. He tore his cloak and they all start persecuting him. They said they come and they spit in his face and it comes and they say they hit him, they take him away and they beat him. And so when I read that, the question that comes to mind for me is why did it go down this way? Why did it take place like this? Why did the one who it talks about having all dominion, the one who is overall, the one who has all the power, the one who will last forever and ever, says his kingdom will never falter, never be destroyed, never It will last forever and have dominion over all the world. And it says all the nations will worship him. Why did it go down this way? If he is truly the king, if he is who he says he is, then why in this moment does he not save himself? If he's the true king, then he has the power. He could have just destroyed the building he was in right there. If he was the true king, he could have killed everyone in that room. If he was the true king, he could have called on angels and the angels would have come and rescued him from that situation and healed every mark on him. So why did it go down this way? Why does it say they came and they spit in his face and they beat him and they blindfolded him where he couldn't even see when it was coming and they took him and they beat him and they beat him and they beat him. If he is the king over everything, then why does it go down this way? And the only thing that I can come up with, the only reason that it went down this way is because our king knew that a price had to be paid. And it wouldn't be done by him rescuing himself. It wouldn't be done by him taking it out on other people. But he knew that a price had to be paid and he was going to be the one to pay that price. King over all the world, king over everything, king over all dominion, the one who that all the nations would come and they would worship him in the end. He could have ended it right there, but he knew a price had to be paid. So why was he silent? He was silent because he loves you. Why did he speak one sentence? He spoke one sentence because he loved you. Why did he take a beating? Because he loves you. Why did he take spit to the face? Because he loves you. Why did he take nails through his hands? Because he loves you. Why did he defeat death? 
because he loves you. Every single thing he did was out of love for you and me. All of it. And he had the power to end it whenever he wanted to. But he knew that a price had to be paid and he was the one who loved you and loved me enough to pay the price that had to be paid. And we know now that he sets, this is the good part, we know now that he sets at the right hand of the Father, the mighty one is what he's referred to in here, and one day is coming on clouds of heaven. This is the Son of Man. This is the everlasting King. We read in Scripture, it says, Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve others. And I don't know who you want to follow more than somebody who has all the power in the world but is willing to give it all up out of his love for you. I can't think of anybody else or a better definition of somebody that I would want to follow. Pastor Mike says it this way. He says, he became the son of man so that we might have the privilege to become the son of God. He became the son of man so that we might have the privilege to become the son of God. We know that he was beaten. We know that he died for us. We know that he rose again. We know that he is now set at the right hand of God. And he is king over all things. And we know that scripture tells us that he will come back and that he will avenge all of his people and that we will all be in glory with him. We know that he is king over every single thing, over every single place. He is king of all nations. His dominion will never end. We know all of these things. He is the greatest king that will last forever and ever. But the question I want you to ask yourself is, is he your king? We know he's the greatest king. We know he is the king that will last forever. But ask yourself this, is he your king? Is he your king? The choice is up to us. Obviously, the high priests and the chief priests, when they tore their garments, they had the choice. They were there with him. They could have made the choice to follow him. They chose to persecute him. And each and every one of us here have the choice to say, is this the king we want to follow? Or is this not the king we want to follow? And for me, when I look at this, it's super simple. You have a king who had all power He had dominion over everything. He could have done anything in that moment. But he chose to pay the price for each and every one of us. And he did all of those things because he loves us. So I want to talk about that choice that we have today. And you guys can can bow your heads and close your eyes in this time. And I just want to talk a little bit more. A little bit more about this. We know, and I know I've repeated this a lot, but this is so crucial and so important for us to get that he was king over all. He is king over every single thing, and he will be king for all eternity. And he loved us so much that he paid the price for us. I can't even fathom that, that he had all the power, and he gave it all up so that we might know God, so that we might have a relationship with him. And so the choice now 
is for us today to decide, are we going to follow him? Are we going to allow him to be our king? The greatest king in the whole world is asking you, saying, will you let me be your king? Will you follow me? And I don't know what you're going through in life. I don't know what sin struggle you with, what, what, you're, what you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. But man, I know that Jesus can change you. I know that he can change your circumstances. I know that he can save you from whatever it is you are wrapped up in. In Romans 10, 9, it says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Like I said, I don't know what sin you're dealing with. I don't know where you're at in this life or who you're following. But that verse there, it doesn't end and say he will forgive us of some unrighteousness or part of our unrighteousness, but he will forgive us of all unrighteousness. The king of the world, the king of everything, wants to forgive you and wants to have a relationship with you. He died on the cross in our place. He went and took something that was supposed to be meant for us and he paid the price for each and every one of us. The greatest person to ever live with all power chose to give up that power in that moment to pay the price for our sins.